What's up, everybody? What's going on, everybody? Um, Ashe to all my people out there. Welcome to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective. Um, here, This is the podcast where we give our point of view of controversial topics from my experience, black history, and our knowledge as African-Americans. Uh, black history presently lives in us so we can continue to excel into the future. It's one thing to know black history. It's another thing to take advantage of what the people in black history did for you. In the words of Malcolm X, there will come a time where black people will wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves as other people are intellectually independent enough to think for themselves. Right. Um, we appreciate the love we've been getting uh, mostly on TikTok. I really don't even care about Instagram anymore. Uh, I've tried with the mouth, whatever. Um <laughs> Facebook love, uh, even some YouTube love with the YouTube shorts. We appreciate it. Um, all the love we've been getting on the sh- in the comments we've been getting. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Uh, if you watch the full episodes, we we definitely appreciate you more uh, rocking with this great content because we're not going to stop. We've been doing this over a year now. This might be like episode 40, something like that. 40, 40, you know what I mean? So we definitely going to continue to continue to grow, continue to be better, continue to, to uh, look at the comments on some of the things that we make to do better, uh, but we appreciate all the love and support. Uh, I'm your host, Martre Baker-Stevens. To the right of me is Shaquan Battle. Yep. And to the right of him is Jerome Battle. What's up? Uh, for the people who are new to the podcast, that's our father. <laughs> We're brothers. <laughs> It's a Me, family thing. That's not my brother. <laughs> that's my dad. Uh, for the people who don't, who are new to they the podcast, they say you look old. That's what they. <laughs> no, nah, they say you look young. <laughs> and this is uh, exactly episode forty. This is episode forty. Yeah. All right. Um, the last episode that we did, we kind of jumped into a conversation that kind of led us into this this topic, which is talking about uh, HBCUs. Uh, historically black colleges and universities um, for disclaimer before we even start uh, I guess you got to explain this because <laughs> some people still don't understand what that means um, that white people can go to HBCUs <laughs> <laughs> yes white people can go to HBCUs in fact there are some that the the population is more white than black yeah than so because uh, I don't lie I didn't know that because I never heard a white person say that they was going to a HBCU. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that they want to know, can white people go to HBCUs, but they don't realize that HBCUs were created because they wouldn't let us <laughs> yeah, go exactly. to, the, to the public or private Exactly. So, like, I was just reading comments on YouTube, or like on HBCUs, and white people were talking about, like, why do y'all have all black colleges? Like, that's racism. And I'm like, that's not what that means. Like, you have HBCUs and you have PWIs, right? That's PWIs right. is predominantly white, white institutions because places like UVA, Virginia Tech didn't allow black people to go there. So therefore they had to create their own institutions to be able to go to school. So whenever you see an HBCU was brought up, a lot of white people say, you know, that's continue segregation where well, that's not what that means and black people we've done it too because we call them all black schools when that that's not, not what it is right. they're historically black colleges and universities so when when integration happened white people had the opportunity to go to these schools the same as they had the opportunity to go to all black high schools and middle schools and elementary schools they chose not to so when it came to integration we did the integrating so we went to those schools and basically left 
um, sometimes left our own institutions in which they closed down. But it does not mean an all black school. There are white people there. There are Asians there. There are a lot of different people there. It is not it is not an all black institution. You will not be denied because you're white. That's the dumbest thing you ever heard. Now, we do know on the opposite hand that black people can be denied because they're black going to PWIs. Absolutely. Um, an interesting thing that just came up in the news, uh, actually, uh, um, a few weeks ago, there was an Atlanta teen, um, Mackenzie Thompson, who had like 49 college offers um, and $1.3 million in scholarships, chose to go to an HBCU. And her quote says, you know, I'm choosing to be part of the majority, no longer feeling like a minority. That's the importance of of the HBCU, right? And to put this into perspective for people, you know, 1948, George McLaren applied to the uh, Oklahoma University. And he was attending Oklahoma University, but they would not allow him to be in the classroom with white people. So his desk was on the outside of the classroom where he had to learn from there. He couldn't go into their cafeteria. He couldn't go, couldn't go into their library. You know, he couldn't be in their classrooms. And that just shows you the uncomfortability with learning in some of these places, even PWIs. So for, for black people, it's hard sometimes being educated in those type of environments. They're not, they may not be as lethal as it was back then, mm-hmm. but there's still some uncomfortable situations in being in those integrated schools or predominantly white institutions where it's taught a certain way, where it's, um, it's rooted off certain things. Right. So that's one of the important reasons of, of HBCUs. So, you know, a hundred years ago, there were over 300 HBCUs. Now we're down to 106. And this goes to a, back to a conversation that we had a while back was African and Americans, we have to do a better job of retaining our history, right? Because HBCUs are history. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen over the last um, over the last century is African Americans have allowed not just HBCUs, but predominantly black stuff, black things, um, historical sites, um, historical people monuments and all of these things just be taken away from us because we haven't kept it up funding wise or or kept it it. or kept even businesses active by shopping there or or buying there Mm -hmm. because we have we have kind of pushed aside our own history and just talking about it when white people have the actual evidence of their stuff you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so you can go just here locally and there are places that was um black um institutions that are no longer there that's been converted to something else but you would never know it if somebody told you you know what i'm saying science and technology right which is now uh back to Susie um g gibson Gibson. that's right. right so without keeping those hbcus alive and funded and sending our kids there and all of the millionaires that we have now in America that are black without them funding that money back into our own community. We lose sight of our history sometimes too. Oh, absolutely. You want to go first? You want to respond to that? First, the, the, the thing I like the most about HBCUs is something that you mentioned is that when you went to a PWI and in, and at the, at the early education level, middle school, 
um, elementary, high school level, you, you don't really have a choice, yeah. right? So you 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 go to the school that that's in your district or your zone to go to. You don't have a choice. So when you get the higher education, you have an opportunity to choose. So in most cases, blacks chose higher education where they felt the most comfortable. One, where they were welcome, because everybody wants to be welcome. It makes better for a learning environment when you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. So we talked about this early on. When you go into a classroom at five years old, six years old, you see no re- representation of you or people that look like you. Right. There's there's no symbols of that, right? So once you get to the, the, the higher education level, you decide, I want to go where there's people like me. Yeah. Where I feel more comfortable to where I can be the best version of me and not have to deal with the outside uh, 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 and, and things that happen on the outside of education. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like what Jackie Robinson had to go through when he played baseball, right? Uh, what Jim Brown had to go through when he played football. Mm-hmm. They wanted to avoid those things so that they can do what they really wanted to do, which is get a better, better education because we understand that one of the things that can become an equalizer in a, in a, in a world of discrimination and prejudice is education, right? right? Even though sometimes that's the narrative, Sometimes it can be reality, yeah, right? Sure. But nonetheless, you have to have that yeah. in order to create some type of equality. So choosing an HBCU gave us that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that a lot of these schools were, well, in, in every case, were created for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the creation was because we weren't allowed to go to the PWIs, right. which at that time, every, right, right. Oh. every college or university was one, whether it was private or public. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that a little bit later, the difference between the two. So for the people that want to know, most of the HBCUs for a long time were private, yeah. which means all of their money came from donations and alumni donations and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Successful people who came from those yeah. universities. Right. Also, the HBCUs educated the teachers that taught in the predominantly black communities at the uh, K through 12 level. So they were educating the future educators that were going to teach people that look like you. So the cycle was important that I think a lot of people don't understand. So in terms of choosing an HBCU and, and, and I've learned to, to understand this through the years is that you choose not for the black experience. Hell, you get that every day just being black, right? right? Mm-hmm. You choose it because if you don't use it, you will lose it. And that's I, right. that that's not that's not just the same. That's not a rap song. Mm-hmm. That that's real. If you don't use it, you're gonna lose it. So people are choosing these HBCUs for that reason too. But to go one step further, to be able to get funding to be able to go to school, if you choose your HBCU, you have a allotment of money that's out there, federal grants, Pell Grants, that you can get to go to HBCUs a lot easier than you can to go to a PWI. So, and then to go one step further, one of the problems that you have when you go to a PWI is that the debt that you incur while you're in school, now you have to be able to get a job that pays you the kind of money that you need to be able to pay off those debt and still earn a living and have that equality that you wanted by getting that education. That's right. That you don't normally get that when you go to a PWI, that you can get when you go to HBC. That's right. And then the last thing is, for those who want to know, this is this is a fact. This is not 
Recent research shown that black graduates from HBCUs are 35% less likely to develop a warning sign for heart disease, stroke, or diabetes compared to black graduates from other institutions. Mm. Other institutions is a, is a euphemism for PWI. Right. So 35% less likely. Why? Your level of comfortability, the hardships that you do not have to encounter at that early age in life, 18 through 24, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to allow you 35% likely, less likely to be diagnosed with one of these things early on. So the pressure is off of you. Mm -hmm. The pressure that some people have when you go to a PWI, you remove that pressure by choosing the HBCU. I'm going to ask you a question before you go real quick, because what you just said is, is, is monumental. But one of the cons that I read about going to an HBCU is the fact that once you leave that black campus, you're now back into the real world, right? So can that be a, a detriment to the black people? Because you for four years or eight years, you've been in this black culture, this black uh, bubble, until you got to go back into corporate America, which is also that's, white, that, that's right? A, that's you know what I mean? Great, that's a great point, and I, I got an answer for it. Okay. The, the answer is this. So people want to know, if I go to HBCU and I go, to, I go for a job interview, and my counterpart, the other person that's up for the same position, graduated from a PWI, mm-hmm. who stands the better chance of employment? It depends. If that employer's objective is to diversify, mm-hmm their establishment, their organization, for whatever reason, because every company has to look to diversify. If we're saying that today's population of non-white Americans is at a certain number and you expect that number to rise in the next 10 years, it's incumbent upon that company to understand that Mm -hmm. in order to survive. I need to diversify because I need that business. Mm -hmm. In order to have that business, I have to have that workforce. So now if a company is, is really looking to diversify, they're going to look at the person from the HBCU. And here's why. Mm-hmm. To diversify doesn't mean adapt. Diversify means to join. Mm-hmm. So that means you have to have somebody that can join the ranks, that can deal with the people that you're trying to get. So whether you're trying to diversify your right, your, you. your workforce, yeah. I need people that can work within the group yeah. of those people that we want to target. That's right. But also to be able to communicate and be an example to the people that we want to, to, to take our services or product. That's a perfect right? answer. So, so yeah, yeah. That and, and we see the numbers that most of the people, companies that are looking to diversify are going to hire graduates from HBCUs rather than the PWI. Right. I, that's a great answer. What are your thoughts? Mm. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Now, y'all can keep going, but I'm just, I'm just trying to process that. It, it, it's a lot. And I think sometimes having words like when you use words like black, I think I think people assume that it excludes a certain group. Yeah. And, and what they don't understand is the reason we have to use the word black or when you look at NAACP, you have to use the word color. The reason that you have to do that is because we was excluded yeah. from everything else. Right. So in order for us to be included, we have to use words that identify with us right. in order for you to understand that we're included. Uh-huh. Otherwise, we're not included. So and, and, and just to make a quick connection, I know over the weekend you guys heard about the shooting in Buffalo. Uh-huh. And one of the things that and I'm not going to mention the guy's name, 
But one of the things that he mentioned in his manifesto and even in the video parts that he videoed on his way to 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 that location is that America systematically was replacing black people in the position of white people. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we talk about on this, we've talked about on this podcast from day one is that when you infringe on white America's privilege, they fight back. Yes. Right. Right. So for me, the fight back means you understand that you have a privilege yeah. and you don't want to give it up. So for the people that think racism and prejudice doesn't exist in America, why do you have so many people feeling like this 18, 18 year old kid? Why do you have so many people in America feel the way that he feels? Mm-hmm. If we were equal, if the playing fields were equal, why do you want to eliminate us? Yeah. Right. If we have access to the same privilege that you have already, why are you thinking that we're getting your privilege? Yeah. We're not. It doesn't exist for us. Mm-hmm. And we don't want your privilege. We want ours. Yeah. We're not trying to take anything from you. Right. We just want you to acknowledge that we have the rights to the same thing that you have. That's all we want. That's right. That's right. And when you look at that, you know, so when you look at segregation was the creation of HBCUs. That's right. Integration was also the demise of a lot of HBCUs. You know what I mean? The, the numbers began to dip because once the opportunity came, African-Americans started to move into those to those uh, joints. But before the war, um, the South, of course, wasn't interested in educating black people at all. At all. You know, wh- even white people weren't allowed to teach black people how to how to That's read right. and write and all of these other things. That's because an educated black population cannot be an enslaved population. Exactly. That's right. you, you don't want them to be educated because if you educate it, you can think for yourself. And if right. you can think for yourself, that means you can change some things and we don't want you to change anything. So, you know, during the war, enslaved Africans escaped to the Union soldiers, which they were called contraband at these Union camps. Right. So you create, they had contraband schools, which they would go outside and learn to read and write. Uh, while in the midst of um, the Union soldiers. And then after the war, again, like we talked about on the Reconstruction episode, you know, the Freedoms Bureau came from the North and came down South and started establishing all these schools. What we didn't talk about on that episode is how a lot of those Freedmen's Bureau that created these schools, a lot of those white people that built these black schools had their own agenda. That's right. Right? Because what, like, like we just said, if you can... If you're going, if we have to educate you, then we're going to educate you in a way to where we're still in control. So we want to control that education. So you'll learn the things that we want you to learn about, right? right. You'll do the things that we want you to do. You'll behave the way we want you to behave in these schools. And a lot of HBCUs were subjective to that because a lot of them were created by, by, um, these Quakers and these white people who didn't see black people as slaves but they didn't see them as equal either. Right. So when you don't see them as equal, you still want to control them. So you start building these own schools with your own agenda. And the first AME church, again, like I said, whether you're Christian, Islamic, whatever religion you believe, you cannot talk about black history in America without talking about the church. That's right. Period. You know what I mean? The first AME church, the, uh, the African Methodist Episcopal church said, wait a minute. We have our own ideas about how we want to run our, how we want to run our schools. That's right. We have our own ways we want to teach uh, we have our own teachers that we want to teach, even though they may only read on a fourth grade level. Now they can still teach kids to get up to a fourth grade level and they continue to grow from there. So they started building their own, like you said, private 
mm-hmm. HBCUs, which is not funded by the public, right? So most HBCUs were still ran by by white people, and one of the ones uh, I read about was uh, at Fisk University, where the president was <laughs> running it kind of like a prison. Telling people when to wake up, when to go to bed, when to eat, when to sleep. They couldn't have social programs. They got rid of the sports teams. W.E.B. Du Bois and his daughter went there. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening was W.E.B. Du Bois heard about the way he was running it. And at the daughter's graduation, they asked him to come speak. And his whole commencement speech was about the president and and criticizing the way it was being ran. So what they ended up doing a riot, well... That's what you want to call it. What we know, that's what America going to call it to run him out of right. a, a Fish University. But you had that happening so many times um, within America, where there was so much control. So a lot of the AME Church began to build their own HBCUs, especially down in the South. But one of the first HBCUs is the Institute of Color Youth, eighteen thirty-seven, which was the it's called an HBCU, but really it was on a high school level education, higher education, right? Right outside of um, um, Philadelphia. That's right. Um, it's today called Cheney University of Pennsylvania. You also had Ashman Institute of 1854, which was the first place to start offering degrees as an HBCU, which is now Lincoln University. And of course, the oldest private HBCU was Wilberforce University, which is out in Ohio, which came from built by ex-slaves that escaped during the Underground Railroad. Um, and they began to operate their own African-American church, I mean, African-American um, school, again, from the first AME. And then again, after the Civil War, you had Atlanta University, which is now called Clark Atlanta University. Um, and during act- the actual war, ex-slaves began to develop that school. Um, you also had Howard University developed in 1870, 1872, something like that. But it was one of the first black law schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlotte Ray, a female, was one of the first people to graduate, was the first female to graduate right. from there. And she um, was admitted to the District of Columbia Bar. Um, the right. first female, first woman admitted to the um, District of Columbia Bar. You also had Charles Houston, who was a dean at Howard University of that law school. And at first it was just night classes, but he changed it into a full-time curriculum and accredited curriculum with the, uh, with the bar association. So he brought in black lawyers teaching the future black lawyers. Can you picture that in your mind? You know, that this black guy is bringing in black lawyers to teach future black lawyers. One ended up being Thurgood Marshall. Marshall. You know what I mean? So he influenced, they said at that time, he had influenced one quarter of the African-American lawyers in the United States. Right there from Howard University, right? Carter G. Woodson was also a dean at Howard University. Stokely Carmichael was also a student at one time at Howard University. You had Morehouse College, which provided a liberal arts type of education. Because a lot of people weren't doing liberal arts type of education. They were just doing what we call now STEM. Um, and that's how most of the HBCUs were started, doing STEM. Right. So, but science, technology, and so, mathematics. Yes, yeah, science, technology, engineering, and yeah, mathematics. mathematics. Uh, while others focused on the industrial and agriculture. But Dr. King, before it became Morehouse College, it was called um, Atlanta. It's like the Atlanta um, Baptist 
seminar, Atlanta Baptist College. And that's where Dr. King and his family went to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they were also a part of the civil rights sit-ins because, of course, they were connected to Dr. King and his family. You had Spelman College, which was the all-female version of Morehouse, Morehouse College. So Morehouse was all male. Spelman was all female. And they produced their first bachelorettes in 1901. Uh, Hampton University or Hampton Institute was built by a person who didn't think that blacks were equal to uh, white people. So he in, uh, he incorporated the agricultural stance and getting black people to do vocations, right? And one of his students happened to be Booker T. Washington. Right. Booker T. Washington goes to Tuskegee and continues to teach this. And he begins to teach that vocation should be the only way for the African-American at the time, which was controversial because people like W.E.B. Du Bois disagreed and felt like black people had the, should have the opportunity to do STEM, should have the opportunity to do liberal arts and do all of those things to create change for, for civil rights. Um, just a few more. Uh, Morris Brown College started by First AME Church. Um, um, you had uh, Simmons College out of Kentucky was the oldest in the state, uh, started by former slaves. You had Paul Quinn College out of Texas, and um, you left. You left that drum line, ain't you? <laughs> Morris Brown. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and at one point, Booker T. Washington was not sold that uh, HBCUs were technically the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, they had what was called black junior colleges. And and he had the first one that was um, in uh, Florida. Most of them took place in Florida. Yeah. The reason being is after the um, Brown versus Board of Education's in 1954, uh, every time you have a ruling that's do- that does not favor white America, the South would do something to offset that, yeah. right? So when you had the civil rights, then you come back with, you know, something else. Before that, you emancipation proclamation, you come back with Jim Crow laws. There was always something that the South would do to offset laws that didn't benefit them. So after Brown Board of Education's decision in 1954, Florida started creating black junior colleges. And the whole idea, they were... The narrative was that they were trying to prove that separate but equal does work. That's not what they were trying to do. What they were trying to do is create another avenue for you to be able to go to college so you didn't have to go to one of those PWIs in yeah. Florida. They did not want, they didn't want integration. That's not what they wanted in Florida. And Booker T. Washington kind of agreed to a point, as we know, Booker T. Washington was also a firm believer that if you were educated and you you had wealth, that eventually you would get accepted by white America. He really believed that. Yeah. That was that was one of his common things that him and W.E. Du Bois would, would differ about. Yeah. But he believed that. And we know that that concept did not work. Yeah. But what did happen is, and this is important, what did happen is the federal government decided because your private-owned schools, your public-owned schools get state government funds. Yeah. Right? But you could get federal funds to go to HBCUs. So to offset that, they started creating availability for federal grants to go to these PWIs, even the public ones versus just the private ones. And it created an avenue that allowed black kids to be able to go to PWIs. Why? Money. Yeah. More money. More money. We talked about on many episodes, what is it normally about in America? Money. Money. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. 
and we are back. Go to YouTube, type in my unapologetic perspective, and follow all of the latest uh, episodes. Follow me on TikTok, uh, Martre underscore S. Follow all of the latest clips. Uh, we're going to continue on. Let's see what we got. Where we at? Where we at? So just a few icons. We got to We got to do that. Right. David Dinkins, Howard University, first black mayor of New York. Jesse Jackson, North Carolina A&T, civil rights activist. Spike Lee, director, Morehouse College. W.B. Du Bois, writer, Fisk. Tony Morrison, Howard. Althea Gibson, Florida A&M. Gladys Knight, Shaw University. Thurgood Marshall, Howard University. Langston Hughes, which is on my shirt. Lincoln University. Stacey Abrams, Spelman College. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta and a graduate of Florida A&M University. Shout out to Keisha. The best wide receiver to ever walk the planet, Jerry Rice, Mississippi oh. Valley State. Are y'all rude? Oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. Camilla Harris, Howard. <laughs> Stephen A. Smith, that's on ESPN. First take, Winston-Salem State University and Oprah Winfrey, Tennessee State. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I-, I said Martin Luther King earlier. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, movies. Of course, you've seen the Great Debaters with Denzel Washington, who played Melvin B. Uh, Tolson, who actually went to uh, Lincoln University, but he trained people on uh, at Wiley College at, during the debate team, in which that debate team rose up. and In the movie, they they beat Harvard, but in real life, they actually beat USC um, at, at a debate. Uh, a different world, of course. Y'all know I was gonna bring that up. Uh, fictional, but it, it was fictional Hillman College, but the campus used the, uh, the series to film at Clark Atlanta University and Spelman College in Atlanta. School days, of course, being that Spike Lee went to an HBCU, you know, he had to do a movie about an HBCU and fraternities. Drumline, HBCU, uh, talked about the marching bands, and then you had Stump the Yard, HBCU fraternity step teams at HBCUs. Uh, so now let's get to a little bit of the problems that's been happening at the HBCUs, right? So we talk about, of course, the number one problem is lack of funding that's hurting the HBCUs. You know, one of the things that happened was the plus loan that African-Americans were relying on to go to the HBCUs began harder to be able to get um, approval for that, in which HBCUs was losing $50 million just off of those plus loans. Um, low retention, you know what I mean, is when you get to college, uh, T's here, T can attest to this, when you get to college, a lot of times you still apply for those grants. You still apply for some scholarships to be able to continue your time at that college, um, getting jobs at the college. And a lot of times HBCUs don't have that funding for that to be able to keep people at HBCUs. Um, so you know, if you go to a PWI, there's just so many donors that's just throwing money at these PWIs. And there's just so many, so much scholarship opportunities, so much uh, financial aid that you can get, um, even especially if you're black, because like, again, they get so much more money if you're black. You know what I'm saying? So there's uh, there's African-American based scholarships that you can get at these PWIs that they have to spend a certain amount, right. amount of money. To diversify. They call it incentives to get minority students, but it's really a quota so they can get federal funds. Yeah. Listen, son, I'm trying to throw a lot of financial (laughs) 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 aid. 
But uh, <laughs> but they're also competing competing against online college, online classes. You know, a lot of people are offer those online courses to where you don't have to go to campus. It's just cheaper you for you to be right at home, and you get UVA University on your on your on your uh, degree just like everybody else without having That's to right. step foot on it. It's also what you mentioned at the very beginning is that a lot of people are uneducated on the history of HBCUs. Yeah. And, and why it's necessary that we continue to go to those those institutions. Yeah, because if, if you look at it, you know, we went to Liberty High School, which is, would y'all say Liberty High School is about 70, 30? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. Did, did your Gallus Council ever, well, T, did, Gallus Council, <laughs> did the Gallus Council ever talk to you about what college you want to go to in high school? All right, well, they're supposed to. Yeah. So, and we're doing, I remember they never brought up, I've never brought, I got brought up at HBCU. You know, no. nobody talked about it, no. you know. And you, you won't, unless you have a guidance counselor that look like you. Yeah, if, even if they do college <laughs> fairs, you know, how many HBCUs do they invite to the college fair? Just Absolutely. Like, so if you don't know about it and you come from a family history that didn't go to school or whatever, how would you know about it? Then, right, because a lot of HBCUs is traditional. You know what I'm saying? people listening to this podcast right now still wondering, what the hell are we talking about when we say HBCUs, right? Historical black colleges and universities. And white, Drum people, line. white people can't go there. Drumline. Stop the yard for all the black people who don't know what we're talking about, right? Um, but another thing is, you know, T probably never even thought about this going to LU. I never even thought about it when I went to school, right? Is do you have access on campus to things that you feel like you should have access to. And a lot of HBCUs don't. You know, do you have Wi-Fi in every building? A lot of people think at college you're supposed to That's just right. have that, right? But if you're not, if the HBCUs, a lot of people go to HBCUs because it costs lower. And if it costs lower, it means they're getting lower funding, lower tuition rates, which means there's less money going into the resources. Right. So if you don't have, so they have to cut some things. So you may not have Wi-Fi. You know, if you go to LU, LU got this beautiful gymnasium for students. You know, it's like six, seven basketball courts. Yeah. You know, you could work out there. Do you have the funding for that? No. Because as y'all probably going to talk about in a little bit, a lot of the sports teams use the those facilities to where we can't have everybody coming here using these facilities, right? You know, do you have enough showers in your dormitory? Because if... If you go into a, a most PWIs, of course, a lot of places still have um, showers by the um, the level that you're on, level one, level two, level three of, of a dorm. But if there's only four showers and there's fifty people in this on this on this uh, level, I may be late for class trying to get a shower. That's right. You know, does the showers have hot water? Is there leaky pipes? I know a few people say Howard University has some leaky pipes. Yeah. Are those things being fixed? Uh, TSU, um, heating and air. Right. It's one of the things they're struggling with. Do you have money to bring in guest speakers? That's right. That's not alumni. Matter of fact, Howard was having struggles this year just with the dorms, the quality of the dorms, and the fact that they have too many people in the dorms. Yeah. And the kids protest. Um, because of that, yeah. So those those economical and financial issues are real and and at the HBCUs in comparison to the PWI. Right, because I know, like I said, T can attest to this. It's probably some places you can go right off campus and you get discounts. Yeah. Can can I can you can you offer me that 
Because is the surrounding area black owned to where they would give me a discount? Probably not. You know what I mean? So those are things that a lot of HBCUs may not offer that PWIs do offer. You know, and you can go to USC and they'll give you money to go study abroad. You know what I mean? So why would I go to an HBCU if USC is going to give me money to do all of this? Right. So it's it's tough, but we still want to preserve and give our money like we always talk about that economic development. It goes with schooling, too. The more we attend, the more money funnels and the more money goes back into a into our community, into our schools. But if we're not taking care of that, then that's on us. And, and listen to and listen to the politicians. Um, so the politicians, even at, at the at the state level. Yeah. So when you have people running for for governor and lieutenant governor, you have to make sure that you're listening to their campaigns because they're the ones who are going to decide the amount of money that's that's possibly going to these HBCUs that will be available to you which a lot of people don't do. And if you listen to our Lieutenant Governor, when she first won, what was the first thing that she said? Is that she's gonna make sure that more funding go to HBCUs. Yeah. Yet, and be- before that, she said she doesn't see a, di- a disparity between yeah. the two. Well, but the, obviously there is. The the passage was, well, the initial thing was 43 billion. That's right. And that got cut down oh, to oh, two right. billion. You, we knew that was going to happen. Yeah, it got yeah. cut down to two billion. Forty-three. They won't even get that to. <laughs> they won't even get that to Ukraine to fight Russia. So you would get that from the HBC. Yeah, you forget about that. So it was two billion. Yeah. We got a little two yeah. billion. Yeah. You know what I mean? But nonetheless, two billion dollars that divide amongst the HBCUs in Virginia. A hundred. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And it's a lot of money that's going to be used. We know that's going to be used the right way because very rarely do you hear about. Um, misappropriated funds in HBCUs yeah. because they're highly monitored by everybody, yeah. not just not just by the, the Black America, but mainly by White America because they're looking for something yeah. to to bring down those institutions. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it like we talked about, you know, there are STEM powerhouses, you know, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Sixty five percent of all Black physicians and half of all Black engineers graduated from HBCUs. Tuskegee and Alabama A&M are top two engineering schools, not just HBCU-wise, but in the nation, right? Spelman College is the second largest school in the nation that sends black undergraduates on to medical school. Jackson State University, not just Dion there, baby, receives the highest amount of HBCU federal research funding every year at $68 million. It is known to have, recit- have uh, intensive research programs. You know, Xavier University out of Louisiana, not Xavier that's in the Big East, <laughs> has a consistency top ranked pharmacy program, annually produces more black graduates who go on to medical school than any other university in the nation, right? Morehouse College, high rates for business administration. North Carolina A&T, big for black engineers. Um, you're talking about great things going on at at HBCUs and a lot of it gets overlooked because they're not your Florida universities, they're Florida A&Ms, right? right? You're, you're, they're not your Texas universities, but it's not always about the name, the grand scheme, the the promotion. It's about what you get while you're in that classroom, right. right? And that's what the culture of, of HBCUs to get you. Cause you'll get, you're around like-minded people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I I was joking earlier with the movies, but in uh, Stump the Yard, she told him, because he was like, I don't want to be here. And she told him, go down to the hall, walk through it, 
and then make your decision. And he goes down there and he finds out all of this history that he didn't even know existed. Feel them ghosts. Yeah. You feel those ghosts. But you alluded to something that years ago, I I never really understood it, but it led me to, you're not going to like this comment. Why I don't like Virginia Tech. So as you guys know, I love that. uh, Your uncle Alvin went to Virginia Tech, you know, for three years. And soon after he was no longer at Virginia Tech, one of the things that they did, based on the information we're talking about now, regarding black engineers, the percentage of black engineers coming from HBCUs, to offset that, Virginia Tech is one of the the largest engineering institutions in America. To offset that, they had an incentive for minority students to go to Virginia Tech that you damn near could go for free almost. Yeah. Um, and until they meet that, until they met the quota, until they got a certain number of minority students, the incentive was huge for them to, to do that. So it's not that they wanted you to go to Virginia Tech. That's, that's, they could care less. They preferred that you didn't. It's because they were able to get the funding mm-hmm. so that they could get back into being that top top tier engineering institution to compete with the HBCU. Yeah. So I that's why I don't like Virginia Tech. Yeah. But it's a lot like you get around just like a lot of like minded people, you know, like we talked about that comfortability in the classroom when mm-hmm. subjects come up that you feel comfortable because everybody in the classroom, we may be from different places, but we can relate at some That's point. Right. You know what I mean? Not just the students, the teachers, you know, the professors can relate. The guidance counselors can relate. That's right. The alumni can relate. Everybody can relate. Right. You know, majority of people don't understand how to communicate to black students. So when you saw a black teacher in high school, especially like the area we come from, it was almost like, let's go. Yes. Somebody that finally can correlate and communicate to me and understand me on a level that can't nobody else do. Especially when I may have behavior issues or I may have learning disabilities. Yeah, that's that's big. So to have somebody that can understand that because that might be related to my home life. That might be related to my my community environment that I live in triggers you understand my triggers absolutely so that's huge and and that's the segue into why a lot of black athletes choose HBCUs as Mm -hmm. well um now unfortunately they're going to find out once they get there that they may not have certain things available to them that they may have available at a PWR but here's the thing you can't miss something you never had so if you're not transferring to a HBCU you never had that anyway yeah. so it's not going to be a big deal but in terms of sports um and academics having somebody that understand my struggles is huge right so if i if i play basketball cuz here's the key if you go to HBCU to play basketball and you go on scholarship guess what when you get an education, and hold on. I, I, I want to stop you real quick. I, I want you to. I want you to hold that. I want okay. you to hold that for a minute. King. Yeah, I want you to hold that for a minute. <laughs> All right. All right. So, you know, another thing is just it's just a safe space. You know what I mean? You know how hard it is going to a not just just a PWI, but going into corporate America, and everybody's looking at what you're wearing. Everybody's looking at how your hair is done. When you're in a black culture, nobody's looking at that because we all have our own individual styles and your style does not make me just gloss them and look at you like a certain way. Right. Right. So you get that that comfortability. Also learn about the black diaspora. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're learning about more than just 
what they want to teach you. You learn about right. the contributions in America from black people, the contributions in, in Europe from black people and 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 in Africa, of course, where we're from. You learn about all those cultures. You get that concept from William Leo William Leo Hansberry, who created the African studies at Howard University that talked about things outside of America that black people were doing great. You know, you're talking about those great type of concepts that you only can get at an HBCU and you're proud of it. And And when you leave there, you're unapologetic about, about being black because you understand that you've been groomed to not feel ashamed about it because there's just so many people who 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 are not like that, right? So, so when you go to How- when you go to Howard, you're gonna learn about Benjamin Banneker. You're gonna learn you about learn, Benjamin Banneker. You didn't learn about him in high school. Yeah. So you get you know like I'm saying, you know, like people like Nathan Hare, who went to Langston University at, at HBCU and mm-hmm. taught at Howard University, who created the African American studies courses that we have today. That's right. So without him going through an HBCU learning that stuff you don't get that you don't get somebody to come up with a program and curriculum to be able to give to other teachers to be able to teach it you know what i mean so for the future of hbcus you know i think there's going to be a lot more international (laughs) students coming in because there's going to be a funding for international students and i think hbcus need to get a hold of that especially from the african diaspora um for, for black people to, for them to come here and, and correlate with the African-American culture that you may not get outside of, of America. Um, you know, there's going to be, a, of course, y'all going to talk about sports here in a second, but of course, those athletes going there are going to bring in more attention, which brings in more revenue, That's right. you know what I mean? More scholarship opportunities. Um, but you're going to get this. This has been a renaissance of, of black students going to HBCUs the last six or seven years because we're just seeing a waking up of people being proud to be black. Okay. You know what I mean? And those applications are going to continue to grow and they're going to continue to to flourish um, as we move forward. But we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right. And we are back. And I'm not Martre. <laughs> um, so we're going to uh, we're going to go into another segment. We're going to talk about uh, sports. At HBCUs. Uh, welcome, T. How you doing? And tell him who T is. He got. What do you tell him who it is with your LU stuff on? <laughs> Fan of flame. Your PWI. <laughs> you must have just learned what that was. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, how y'all doing? My name is Tyron Staples. Obviously, I'm not Martre Stevens. Um, that's my junior. Um, yeah, I just graduated from Liberty University, a PWI, as Shaquan would say. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know if that's a PWI or not. I, I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great school, but it is. Um, yeah, that's that's me. That's all right, me, buddy. Um, if you had to do it all over again, oh man, that's what you're gonna start out. Would with? you? Would you choose? Because I I didn't go to college, so. <laughs> Would you choose a HBCU or would you even think about it? Um, all right. With that question is, is the HBCUs how it is now? Yeah. Dion and Eddie George. Yeah. And I'm going to HBCU. Yeah. I'm gone. Because a lot of times kids pick the Alabamas, the, the bigger schools, USC's, because now you got the NIL yep. for the kids to make money. Yeah. Um, but more so being drafted where now 
because you're going you you get to see you you get more exposure at these bigger colleges mm-hmm. where now you basically control your own exposure with social media yeah. so you don't need Alabama you don't need USC where you can post your own highlight films the problem is is you get into what you alluded to earlier is you don't have the things that USC has yeah. you know you don't have the Virginia Tech just built uh they just got a donation for $9 million to build a new locker room. Yeah. Which Alabama's locker room costs $27 million. You have Deion Sanders who just built a new locker room. I don't know how much theirs cost. I know he came out of his own pocket for it. I do know that. He had to come out of his own pocket. Now, Virginia would, Tech would you, had a donor. Would you choose an HBCU like you said Deion or, or Eddie Jordan? Would you choose to go to HBCU because of the individual? So, so I think what most people think is, and then I'm, I'm one of these people. So when I think back in my time, uh-huh. basketball, Indiana, uh, Bobby Knight. Yes, sir. People went to Indiana to play for Bobby Knight. Not for Indiana. They don't give a damn about Indiana. They went to play for Bobby Knight. Because in their mind, if I could play for the best, then that means I'm good. Yeah. Right? Yes, sir. So when it comes to the actual school itself, would you choose an HBCU because of the history and the desire for the experience and the level of education, because we talked about that these folks are getting hired at a high rate coming out of HBCU, or would it be because of who's coaching? Uh, I think now, Tyron, now I would go for the history. I would, because I want to be a part of that history. Tyron back then, I probably went for the coaches. Gotcha. Um, it was just different. Like me getting recruited, I think I heard from one HBCU, and that was Hampton. Um, in which I didn't know until later on that HBCUs, they really don't recruit big-time athletes because they know they're not going to get them. That's right. Why would they waste their time That's right. competing with Virginia Tech or Alabama, you know, places like that? But now with Eddie being a head coach, Dion being a head coach, and even the the legendary head coaches, um, they're, they realize, okay, we can get them kids. That's right. And just like the NIL deals – kids are realizing okay i can go to this hbcu and i can still get paid that's right um i dion i can just go off dion because dion's broadcasting what he's doing mm-hmm. absolutely you know what i'm saying where he's getting he just got the number two athlete in football that's right he give that man the nil deal mm-hmm. you know that's so right. it's it's hard to compete with that and then at the end of the day you're playing for somebody that's just like you that's right you know Nick Saban, he's a great coach. Coach Freeze, an outstanding coach. But, you know, if Dion or anybody would have came and knocked on my door, I probably would have said, you know, I'm going with you guys because That's I, right. y'all look like me. Y'all understand where I'm from. Y'all understand my background. Like, it just it's different. It, it makes it easier for me to connect to you. That's right. Yeah. Did you find the transition between your high school experience to going to a university like LU to be much different in um, terms of the the disparity between white students and black students. The same with the teachers. Most of your teachers at LU were probably white versus yes, you know at, at Liberty, same thing. Yes, sir. Did you was it very similar? Yeah, it was similar. So, so the level of comfortability was high already. <laughs> yes, so this, this proves the theory that most kids that go to HBCU come from predominantly black environment. Yes, sir. Right? So the transition from high school to an HBCU is not going to be drastic, right? 
But if, if I go to school in Boston and, and, and my, my, the percentage of black students that, that, that go to my high school is two, mm-hmm. you think I'm going to HBCU? No. <laughs> right? I don't even talk like them. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fit in. And we could talk about bullying. We could talk. Nobody do. Nobody Joan on other black people like black people. So we already know you're going in with some busted shoes on. It's, it's going to be tough. Right. Yeah, so we already over. know that. So I, I think that proves the theory that HBCUs are going to be inviting to people. who either know somebody there, whether it's a coach or a player or another student or it coincides with the environment in which they were already used to. Yeah. And that's, that just happened on an episode of um, a million little things where the kid got into Yale, but he didn't want to go because he said, well, his, his foster dad wanted him to go because he said, you're going to get an education and be around other people. That's not like you where he said he wanted to get an education, but he wanted to be around people that was just like him. So he could feel comfortable. He wasn't going to feel comfortable at Yale, but he had a hard time telling his parents that because his parents wanted him to experience something else outside of being around predominantly black people. Um, let's talk about KV, uh, KV on, uh how you pronounce his last name? Thibodeau? Yeah. He just got drafted. Yeah. So in 2018, he was ranked the highest football player in America. He, visit, he visited FAMU. And he said, nobody wants to eat McDonald's when you can have filet mignon. And he chose to go to one of the biggest football programs in America, which is Oregon. How y'all feel about that? I like to hear T's thoughts on that. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that's interesting because it's a gen- it's a two-generational gap for me. Right. So, um, so you know, I like McDonald's. So <laughs> yeah, McDonald's cool I, to me. I've never had filet mignon. So, I, I mean, I like McDonald's. So. It just... <sighs> That's tough. Because he's from what? New York? Uh, is it New Orleans? New Orleans? He, he, yeah, he's from... Okay. Um, dang, that's tough. Because <laughs> if you... For me, I would have never said that. <laughs> as a, as a, <laughs> Even if you me. choose Oregon, you don't say that. Yeah, right. For me, yeah, I would have right. never said that. Because um, you just... And fam, you, that's a... That's a that's yeah. historical. <laughs> that's a historical historical black college. Yeah. So like to black people, like that is a filet mignon. Yeah. yeah. But I understand. I mean, you know, you want to go to this big school with plans for the future, but now you can go to those small schools and still make the NFL if that's what your dreams are, the NBA if that's what your dreams are. And I mean, I love what um. I keep going back to him, but the kid that went to Jackson State did because he could he could have went anywhere, he could have went anywhere in this country and played right away. He went down there to Jackson State. He understood. Okay, down here, I'm gonna be the man because mm-hmm. I'm the highest recruit. I will play both sides of the ball, but I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm not gonna talk bad about the big PWI schools. I'm not gonna talk bad about my experience here. He's not living a luxury lifestyle at Jackson State. He's living just like the regular kids. But he understands it's a bigger purpose. Mikey Williams, I think he was the same thing when he was getting recruited. Yeah. Where he said he came out and said, I want to go to an HBCU because right. I want to make that impact. Yeah. It always starts from one person. Now, for, for the kids that, that have a dream of playing at the professional level in the sport, and they choose the HBCU. And we've already seen this. And, 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 and it's not even HBCU. It's just a smaller college. Mm-hmm. LU. Yep. So you look at what happened to Malik. Yep. 
I, I believe, I don't care what NFL uh, uh, analysts may say the hurt is stuff. I believe that they looked at the level of competition that he played. Yeah. And they're saying, we don't know whether he can play against elite players. Not elite schools, players. just elite players. Yeah. So with that said, if you look at HBCUs, I don't care how elite the program is. Remember I said elite players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they going to start looking at kids that go to HBCUs and saying, did he play against elite players? The difference between AAU and high school is you AAU, you typically have the best players available in your area. Mm-hmm. So that means at the high school level, you may have three good players. Everybody else has just made the team. Yeah. So they're not only playing against the, uh, not only not playing against the best, they're not even playing with kids that are really good. Yes, so at the, H- at the HBCU level, that's what I think they're going to have to contend with. And I'm not saying that I agree with that concept. I'm just saying from the professional draft standpoint, that's how they're going to probably look at these kids is saying, yeah, you were great playing against the competition you were playing against. How do you, how do you fix that? I think it's going to get fixed. By more, I, by more kids choosing to go to HBCUs. Yeah, and especially with the transfer portal being as big as what it is now. And you seeing a bunch of them big name players going to HBCUs now. So, I mean, they're they going to have to put big-name schools. You're going to have to see a FAMU versus Florida State game. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to see a Jackson State versus uh, a Ole Miss or a game games like that because of the fans that's coming out now. So in order to keep them fans coming, you have to play top-level competition. Right. And, I mean, the big schools, they're going to be scared because the same players that they have now – once they realize they go to them HBCUs where they are comfortable because they're around the people that, you know, are like them, it's going to be bad. It's going to be yeah. bad when them athletic kids that's go right. to them HBCUs and they're playing for a coach that's just like them. Right. Uh, let, me, let me read some stats real quick. Uh, the NCAA reported $1.1 billion in revenue for 2017. Most of that money comes from the Division One basketball tournament. In 2016, the NCAA extended its television agreement with CBS and Turner uh, through 2032 for $8.8 billion. Uh, about 30 Division One schools each bring in at least $100 million in athletic revenue every year. Almost all of these schools are majority white. In fact, black men make up only 2.4% of the total undergraduate population. 65 of the the so-called Power Five athletic conferences, yet black men make up 55% of the football players in those conferences and 56% of the basketball players. Doesn't surprise me. Now imagine you get them numbers at HBCU. Exactly. What's going to (laughs) happen? Black people's problem is we don't know our value, so we give it away for free. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we don't know our value. So what we do is we have a, a a white coach come in and say, "Hey, look, this is what Alabama offers. This is what." Think about all of those. What was it two years ago that receiving call from LSU? Yeah, all of them from Baton Rouge, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they would have all went to a H- HBCU right. instead of going to LSU, making them more money. And they not make a dime until they get to the NFL. And then I think another thing, well, you're you're kind of seeing the change with generations. Um, y'all's generation, I know my generation, we looked at, I want to go to 
Florida State because of the the sports history. Mm-hmm. They kids now they really don't know about the history, so they they all they want to make their own history, and that's what I think is really cool because it's allowing them to step out, it's allowing them to try new things. But yeah, I I think we're gonna start seeing those Jamar Chases and all those guys go to them HBCUs. And they're going to bring their friends, and HBCUs, they're going to be big. You said something interesting when you when you first answered the first question, is that the the T today would look at, would probably choose an HBCU. Yeah. Be, and, and mainly that's because of what you know today about HBCU. Has anybody, do you hear other students talk, other black students talk about HBCUs at any level? Other than, and we I know we joke about the movies, but that's the only example yeah. that most people ever get of HBCUs is from movies or television. Um, I think in high school, yeah, you really didn't hear it in high school. Just because of the high school we went to. That's right. Um, but once we got to college, we had a couple players go to Jackson State and other HBCUs. Just because you wake up every day and the only time you're going to see somebody like you is when you're at practice or that's you're right. in the locker room. When you go to the classrooms, you already getting stereotyped because you're an athlete. That's right. And then to add on your skin color, it, it makes it worse. So, I mean, it's, and then the whole um, the Black Lives Matter situation, all that took place in college. That's right. So it was like, man, no, nah, we out of here. We're gone. And a couple players, they, I think Tavion Land, he was a big recruit for us. He transferred to Norfolk State. Peyton Pickett, he went to Jackson State. And they mm-hmm. had good careers, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean – yeah, it, it definitely changed. And that's what it takes. Uh, when we're all around each other and we get to talking, and it's like, man, just like you said, we, we're not valuing ourselves. When I'm talking to you, I'm adding value to you, and mm-hmm. you're starting to realize your value. Mm-hmm. So that's now right. it's like, okay, I can take my value somewhere else, Absolutely. somewhere that's going to be appreciated. And, and that's, what, that's what we feel like black history does. Yep. We feel like black history empowers us. Um, it it allow it gives us that value that for for many many years has been tried. They've tried to strip that from us and think making us believe that we're we're not valuable. Yeah. So I think Black history empowers us um, to start thinking about okay, let me do some more research about some of the things that I'm hearing, yeah. and that's what we need. We need younger people like you talking about not just about HBCUs. But about Black history in general, because mm-hmm. you can have you can have you can have value no matter where you go. Yeah. Even if you don't go to college, you can have value. But understanding your value, understanding how to impose your value, yeah. so that you can get a return on your value—that's what we want. And to do that, we think that understanding Black history will help you achieve that. When, when we look at this, you know, uh, thank T for coming on and giving us that that athletic perspective. Um, but one thing we was talking about off air is just how. A lot of these kids, without their value in sports, they would never be able to step foot on that campus. You know what I mean? Um, so PWIs see that, and they'll come into your home and recruitment to hear coaches sit down and smile on your face and tell you how you're going to take care of your baby. Um, but it's a money grab. You know what I mean? And that's how these PWIs have built their organizations to become top-tier schools, not from – academics they come top tier schools because of athletics when you go into a when you go into the mall and you see the university of texas shirt they ain't talking about the university of texas debate team mm-hmm. 
That's you right. know what I mean? When you were, when you see the sports hat selling all of these things, these uh, news channels, these um, Fox and Sport, Fox Sports One and ESPN doing all of these deals. It ain't because they got a, a, a crazy liberal arts uh, thing. Right. It's because these black athletes that they have built on. And one of the things that we talked about, like people like Jim Brown, who went down south and Ernie Davis, who tore Texas up. They said, OK, we see the opportunity now that they can play. So now let's get some of these guys in here and have them run touchdowns for us and build off that. You know, back in the 60s, University of Kentucky didn't have black uh, athletes until they had a a starting five beat University of Kentucky in a championship game. Pat Riley and them, they said, oh, okay. Now, in order to win championships, we got to have black kids. In order to win Heisman trophies, we got to have black kids. In order to get that money to fill the stands, because they ain't coming to see such and such. They coming to see Jim Brown. They coming to see O.J. Simpson. They coming to see these people. That black crowd can come in. Now we can have that revenue coming in. And that's why they use these black athletes as pawns. But if we can get them to an HBCU, and that's why I'm glad that a high school kid brought up brought the attention back to HBCUs right. because before that many people weren't talking about HBCUs until Mikey Wright said you know I, I'm thinking about going to an HBCU and people said wait what the heck is an HBCU and make people go do their research about what Mikey Williams was talking about That's and right. now you get Deion Sanders there now you get Eddie George there now you get all of these great athletes who we already seen you know the the um Wilma Rudolph's of the world come from, you know, the Althea Gibson's come from, Jerry Rice's come from. And you say, okay, if we start, imagine if the top 10 recruits don't choose to go to University of Kentucky to play for Calipari to go to one year to the NBA, they decide to go to Norfolk State. That's right. You know what I'm saying? They decide to go to Jackson State. They decide to go to Florida A&M. Now, guess who ESPN going to call? Because they got the top three recruits. You think Jackson State ain't going to be on ESPN coming up? You dang right they is. Why? Because they got the top two recruits coming in, right? And they got Mo Williams as the head coach. That's money. That's equity. That's donations. That's sponsorship. That's scholarships coming in. So that's why it's important for the black athlete to understand his value. Like, I understand what my man said, filet mignon. Okay, I get it. But what are you doing for the next athlete coming after you? That ain't going to have that opportunity to go to Oregon. Mm -hmm. Because from where he live at, that he not getting that extension. You see it all the time. You see NBA players like Bam Abadu, Bam Abadu, what's it, how you say that boy's last name? <laughs> Bam from Miami, who said he had to train schools just so he can get recognition for those, uh, for those, for Kentucky. You know what I mean? So what happens to the kid who's down there who can't just change schools because he got to take care of his little brother? You know what I'm saying? That's never going to get that D1 opportunity. Oregon ain't knocking on his door. Alabama ain't going to knock on his door because like you said about Malik, he's not getting any attention to play against these 6A states, um, state teams. That's right. They're not playing against these 5A Texas University Florida teams. That's right. So now he's not getting the opportunity and you just disrespecting them by saying, I'm going to Oregon just because you 6'5", 300 pounds. Come on now, if you, if you didn't, if you didn't play football, will Oregon still be sitting at your uh sitting on your sofa and telling your mom she's gonna take care of you? Right. No, but I guarantee you HBCU would for educational reasons. That's the reason why it was started. Because the professors back then cared so much about the youth, they said we're gonna train them to teach the next generation. 
We're going to train them to fight the civil rights. We're going to train them. And you guess what? The people who Charles Houston brought up, those lawyers that he brought up on Howard University and Thurgood Marshall, guess who fought for the Brown versus Board of Education? Howard University led that because they understood at the time what's coming after me. And as African-Americans, especially our young people, we have to start looking at what's coming after me. And uh, for a kid like Mikey Williams to understand that at an early age, monumental. That's right. Monumental, right? So just looking at it, of course, we talked about Biden, uh, the billion dollars, the $4.3 billion that's to be going. But HBCUs make up only 3% of America's colleges and universities, but produce almost 20% of all African-American graduates. More people go to HBCUs, they graduate at a higher rate than going to a PWI. Like you talked about it, that stress factor. That's right. Right. So you ended up going to a to a a, a, a PWI, taking all of that student loan out, and you don't even finish. That's right. Ima- imagine the debt that you paid off for something that you ain't even That's finished, right. right? And of those graduates, there's a large percentage of professionals and leaders that come out of that graduation. Yes. That graduation percentage. When we talk professionals, we're talking doctors, lawyers, business owners, mm-hmm. um, politicians. Course, that's right. Leaders would be your politicians. You know, African-Americans, you know, it's cheaper to go to an HBCU, which means you're going to be in less student loan debt when you get out, which is huge right now. You know, a lot of HBCUs, if H- if more HBCUs close down. Number one, that's jobs that that black people have on those HBCUs that's going to be lost. And they said it's going to be close to billions of dollars lost. That's right. Because there's just so many graduates coming from HBCU. So if you have 7,000 graduates that are not going to be coming from that HBCU school that ended up shutting down, talking about $140 million that can go to the economy from black wealth that we can build. So we talk about building, like a lot of comments on one of our TikToks on Black Wall Street said, we need to rebuild it again. Okay, to do that, we got to make sure we ain't in student loan debt. That's right. You know what I mean? To do that, we got to make sure that we keep these HBC open so we can continue to send these people to uh, Texas State, um, to Florida A&M, to Jackson State, so they can get these degrees and those type of things, right? So without that, we're not building that economic development. Howard University just did something monumental, which they hired two journalists that you might have heard of, Nicole Hannah-Jones mm-hmm. and Tennessee Coates. um, Nicole Hannah-Jones is basically the front runner for the 1619 Project. That's right. And Coates is somebody who talk about the impact of slavery had on African-Americans today. So the CRT that those PWIs don't want to talk about, Howard University said, we're going to bring in the two front runners that wrote books on this. We're going to bring them right here. We're going to make them part of uh, our uh, uh, staff. It, it's funny too that we talked about you made the joke about when white people go to HBCUs. Well, it, interesting stats. So, Bluefield State College, West Virginia, um, 92% non black enrollment. 92. Uh, West Virginia State University, West Virginia, 92% white. Yeah. And I'm saying it because that's not one of my favorite states, (laughs) obviously. But also Delaware State and recent incident with Delaware State. I just seen that. I seen that this morning. Yeah. The the athletic bus was pulled over in Georgia. (laughs) Not one of my favorite states. Um, Pulled over by state troopers in Georgia and searched the bus. Told them that they were going to search their luggage, everybody's luggage, 
But if they had weed, and specifically weed, right? Specific. If you got weed, if you tell us in advance, then it, the repercussions would be a lot less. If we find it, I can't help you. Uh-huh. And uh, that's not the that's not the part that's surprising, right? Because we're surprised if you're surprised, yeah, right? Exactly. The surprising part is they lied about it and and said it didn't happen. Although they have footage they got to show footage. that it They're happened. That's why recording is important. So once again, and one of the state troopers said, well, I, I didn't know it was a historically black school. Yeah. Interesting. 64% Delaware State is black. 36% is non-black. Mm-hmm. So we see that white people also understand the advantages of going to a HBCU. Because really, when you talk about the historical part, that's awesome and we need that Mm -hmm. but it's also the financial part that if you graduate from hbcu that debt that you incur during those four years that you're there is going to be a lot less than it is if you go to pwi Mm -hmm. so that that's huge that's important so everybody ought to be looking at taking advantage of an hbcu not just because of the historical part Mm -hmm. but because of the benefits that in the return that you get in the end so today 80 percent 80% 80% of black judges, 50% of black lawyers, 50% of black doctors, 40% black engineers, 40% black members of the Congress, and 13% of black CEOs in America today graduated from HBCU. Boom. Mic drop. We love y'all. Peace. Be easy.